I want to talk to you this morning about something that's kind of a little bit awkward. I want to, I know we've been doing this whole series about our happy place and the whole idea behind our happy place is the Bible teaches us is that we are at our happiest when we are in community, when we have really close friends to us and when we're in community with those people that we're actually at our happiest. In fact, even psychologists say that we're at our happiest when we've got at least five really close friends. And when I say five close friends, I'm not talking about your husband or your wife or your kids or your sisters or your brothers. I'm talking about people outside of your family that are really close friends. And the reality is, is most of us don't really have that. And if I'm honest, I, I, I would be pushing to get five really close friends. And when I say really close friends, ones that I'm not afraid to open up and share all my weaknesses, all the stuff that's going on in my world and not feel judged by them. And I think that there would be a bunch of people in this room that would be exactly the same. And, and I know that Facebook says that you have 300 friends, but the reality is you don't have 300 friends because Facebook says that you have 300 friends because Facebook at its brilliance has this. If somebody that you are following that's a friend becomes annoying in their posts, you can unfriend. And then you don't have to see their annoying posts anymore. How amazing would it be in life if you had a button that you could just go around and if somebody was annoying, you just go unfriend and you don't have to hear from them anymore. You don't have anyone like that in your world? Do you have children? Sometimes I want, not, not my kids, because they're awesome. I nearly... Stepped into something then where I was going to get myself in a whole lot of trouble. And so I want, I want to talk to you. I know we've been talking about that you need close friends, but I want to finish the series on this thought that we need to learn how to unfriend. It's a real tension in this whole thought because we like things to be clean. Yeah, We like things to be black and white. We like things to be really easy to decipher, but... When it comes to this, there's a real tension in this whole thing of unfriending because I think that things like Facebook has made it really, really um, kind of weird about unfriending. And I'd like to suggest to you that rather than saying that we are unfriending people in our pursuit of God, what I want to talk today is I want to talk about maybe there are some people in your world that you need to redefine the friendship redefine where that friendship is. Are you hearing me? In fact, for those that are committed followers of Christ, I would say that it is imperative that you understand that at different seasons of your life, you are going to have to redefine certain relationships to make sure that you are staying on the right path. Let me, let me put it this way for you. Um, I'm not very good at drawing or writing, so I don't want any, any snarky comments from anybody. I would say that relationships are a three-circle concept. How good are those circles? Wow, it's amazing. And um, at the center of your circle when it comes to relationships is always is always the what I would call the core, your core, your core friendships, right? Those are the people that are like they are, they are your friends. They are the. Shall I, shall I bring it out a little bit so you can see it better? Is that because all these people on, on this side, I just ignored you. 
Um, and so you have your core friendships. Those are the ones that are really close. Those are the ones that you don't mind going on holiday with. Yes? Because not all of your friends you want to go on holiday with, right? Not all of your family you want to go on holiday with. Okay. And then you have, outside of this, you have what I would call your friends. And my writing is really awesome. Um, your friends, and those are people that, they're, they're your friends. Like, you hang out with them, but you don't tell them everything about what's going on in your life. They're, they're your friend, though. If somebody asked you, you'd say, that's my friend. But they're not your core. Are you hearing me? And then I'm not even going to try and spell this, so we're just going to go AQ. Then you have what I would call your acquaintances, and those are people that you just know. You just know them. You know them. They're other people. You've met them a few times, maybe at friends' gatherings. and other, Maybe they're a friend of your friend, but they're not really your friend. But you still see them sometimes at barbecues, and they're an acquaintance of yours, but you wouldn't say that they're a friend of yours. Well, as life goes along, some people that are in your life now at the core actually are not always going to be your core friends. You know, there's a couple of people I know in this church that are still best friends with the kids that they went to school with at five and six years of age, and, and, and they're in their core, but that, that's not normal. I would suggest to you that all of my friends that I went through school with now are acquaintances. They're certainly not friends. Like, I don't hang out with them. I don't see them that very often. But while I was at school, they, man, they were, they were my boys. They were the core, right? But slowly but surely, as, as school finished and as uh, life happened and as I got married and as I started to pursue Christ for all he was worth, some of my school friends actually came out into this space, and they just, they just became friends. And then as life continued on and careers, and they shifted to different places of the country, and I shifted around, and kids came along, and once again, we're pursuing our relationship with God. Some of these guys moved from, from friends out to here to where they're just, they're just acquaintances now. Then on the other hand, that as I have started to go through life, there were people out here that were just acquaintances at one stage, that as I've gone through life and as I've pursued Christ and as they've pursued Christ, they've gone from being acquaintances to friends to some of them now in the core of my relationships. So Pastor Brent Lieberzeit would be one of those that, that only probably seven years ago was an acquaintance. He was somebody that I met through a friend. I, he wasn't really a friend, but Pastor Brent has very quickly moved from an acquaintance to a friend to one of the core people that I reach out to in my life. And what happens in life is that not all those that are in your core stay in your core. Some of them have to shift out just because of how your life is progressing. Here's the problem. Your, your love for the person never changes. People that were in my core when I first came to the church here are no longer in my core. That doesn't mean that my love for them is any different. In fact, some people that were in our church that are no longer in our church, that were part of the core, are still very, very good friends, and we hang out together all the time. But they're not in my core anymore. But my love for them hasn't changed in any way, shape, or form. Here's the problem with a lot of your 
friends or core that have shifted out. Or for you, if you felt like you were in someone's core and now you're just friend or maybe you feel like an acquaintance, the love for you never ever changes. But we measure people's care by distance. And because we measure it by distance, we also see it as a rejection when we shift from core to friendship. Are you hearing me? And some of you have had friends that were in your core before you knew Christ that are even beyond acquaintance now. Why? Not because you don't care about them or you hate them, but because they actually can't be part of your core because they're not going in the same direction that you are going in. And we have to learn how to redefine friendships because if you keep people in your core that aren't pursuing after Christ, you will suffer the consequences, as it says in Proverbs 13.20, walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And we struggle with this because we don't want people to feel like we don't love them. But I got guys that I went to school with. I, I told you a story about a guy called uh, Brett, who was, my, who was my core. Him and I were him and I were close as, like he would come and knock on my door at two o'clock in the morning, we'd go to the driving range and hit golf balls at two o'clock in the morning. Like he was, he was here. Brett is now out here, not because I don't love him, but because he's not pursuing Christ anymore. And so he can't be part of my core, but I still love him. And when I bump into him, which always seems to be at the airport, him and I sit and we chat and it's like, it's like nothing has changed in the last 20 years. We talk about our kids, we talk about our wives, we talk about our jobs. It's, it's like we just, we, we just click straight away. Even though I hardly ever see him, we click straight away. But he's, he can't be in my core because, because he's not pursuing Christ and I'm pursuing Christ and I need people around me that are going to pursue Christ because he who walks with the wise grows wise and a Companion of fools suffers harm because the reality is, is the people closest to you will set the trajectory of your life. They will. I mean, let's be honest here. The times you have got into trouble, you never got into trouble on your own, yes? Come on. Yep. If I'm really, really honest with you, every time I got into trouble, it was either me egging on one of my idiot friends or one of my idiot friends egging me on, and we got in trouble together. You never experienced that? Cool. It's just me. Proverbs 12, 26 puts it this way. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Here's something I want you to hear this morning. You meet people by chance, but we deepen friendships by choice. We meet people by chance, but we deepen friendships by choice. It says here that the righteous choose their friends carefully. But, but hear me when I say this, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So it doesn't mean that I choose my friends carefully and then I'm okay. You're still vulnerable to the wicked leading you astray. 
You're still vulnerable to that guy in the workplace leading you astray. You're still vulnerable to those other friends that might be acquaintances coming back into your world and leading you astray. So you have to constantly be understanding that we meet people by chance, but we choose to deepen relationships by choice. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Or the key thought I would suggest to you in this message today, if you can get hold of it, is this, is that it's impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. It's impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. It is absolutely impossible over the course of your life to live a God-honoring life when you surround yourself with people that are not God-honoring. Are you hearing me? Craig, I hear you, but I'm different. Really? Because 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. No, no, no. No, Craig, you don't understand. Like, I'm not like other people. Yeah, I know a couple of my friends are a little bit dodgy. A little bit dodgy. You know, a little bit on the edge. But I, I, I don't get affected by them. I know other people get affected by dodgy friends. But I'm okay. Really? Because the scripture says here that bad company corrupts good character. You might have good character, but you get yourself around bad company, and the Bible says that your good character is not enough. You get yourself around the wrong people all the time, and bad company will corrupt your good character. Are you with me? You're really quiet. And it says here, don't be misled. In other words, if you turn around and say, well, I'm okay, I'm all right, I'm not like other people, I've got a more of a strength to my walk, it's me and Jesus, um, then friend, don't be misled. Don't be misled. Don't be, you, you are being misled if you think, I can't hang around bad company for long periods of time because it will corrupt my good character. You know, I used to be in a um, uh, over uh, over 30s soccer team. Um, I love over 30s soccer team because you have rolling subs, which means that you can get on the field, run hard out for two minutes, and then sub off. Which means that you're always playing at your absolute peak for those two minutes. And you can do cool things like sub on up the field and get the ball, score a goal, and then sub off and go, I've done my part, yeah? And, and these guys were on my team, and, and one of them, his name was Fitzy, and, and he's a good, good friend. And, um, but Fitzy would get on, and he'd run around, he'd do a, he'd sub off, have a cigarette, scull a beer, and then sub back on again. That was the kind of guys I was hanging out with, and, and, um, and so we'd go back to the football club afterwards, and everyone would order, you know, everyone would have to order a round, and they'd order a round of beers, and the beers would pile up. And I tell you what, I had to stop going to the club after games for a season because I was not strong enough in character to handle the bad company. Then what ended up happening is once I got myself strong enough, I went back into that environment and I went back into the club and they would do the beer shouts, you know, and the beer would come and the beers would pile up in front of me while I'm drinking Coke. Then it came my time to shout and all I'd do is redistribute the beers that they brought for me. It was awesome. Saved me money. But here's the difference. Before, when I wasn't strong enough, it corrupted me. 
when I became strong enough and went in there, I had Fitzy pull me to one side and said, I've never met a Christian like you before in my life. You really inspire me. I want you to do my funeral when I die. I thought that was a bit sadistic, considering he wasn't that old. But something had impacted him, yes? And so you have to be careful about the environments that you go into. You have to make sure that you're strong enough to handle them. Don't be misled. Bad character or bad company corrupts good character. You cannot live a right life when you have the wrong friends. You just can't. And so there's this tension in this whole thought that we can't really eliminate because the Bible says stuff like bad company corrupts good character. And so we have this thought, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay away from bad people. Yet Jesus, our example, was a friend of sinners. And so we have this tension of, I can't hang around bad people, but I'm meant to be the light of the world. I can't hang around bad people, but we're the salt of the world. I can't hang around bad people, but I've got to go and make disciples of all nations. So we've got this tension of, of how, do, how do I do this? I mean, the Bible says things like don't be unequally yoked with people. And so we always interpret that as, you know, don't, here's, can I just I save you a whole lot of drama. Don't date a non-Christian if you're a Christian. And if you're a non-Christian, don't date a Christian because if you're dating a Christian and you're a non-Christian, they actually don't love you for who you are. They're hoping that you'll become a Christian. So they actually have a hidden agenda to going out with you. And, you, you, and that's just hypocritical and non-Christians don't like hypocrites. But if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be going out with a non-Christian either because the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. But I'll take it a step further and say don't even be unequally yoked to a Christian. I've seen people that have a call of God in their life to do ministry full time that have picked a partner in life because she's hot, but she doesn't have a call of God on her life to do ministry. And that call of God on his life or her life has never manifested because they were unequally yoked in their choice of future spouse. So it says pretty clear, don't, don't join together with them, but we're also meant to be the light of the world, and we're meant to let our light shine, right? So we've got this, this conflict. You ever experienced those things when you read the Bible, where you read one thing in one book, and then you read something in another one? It's like they completely contradict each other, and we have this tension. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25 says it this way, Do not associate with people who are easily angered, or you will become like them and endanger your soul. But I'm meant to, but I'm meant to go into all the world and make disciples, though. But I can't hang around people that are angry all the time because it endangers my soul. And so we have this question: Should I avoid people that will tempt me into the wrong thing, or do I reach out to people that are away from God because I'm meant to make a disciple? Like, what do I do? How do I handle this? Do I reach out to people or do I stay away from people? You know what the answer is? Yes. To both. It's yes to both. And 
there's this tension that we have to embrace. But all the time we have to be careful that in the friends that we are making that we're not being wrongly influenced, that will take us away from God's call on our lives. And at the same time, we have to be careful that we don't let our hearts grow cold towards the people that God wants us to show his love to and go into all the world and help people become followers of Christ. And so there's this whole tension in all of this because it's yes to both. So how do we resolve the tension, you might ask? How many people want to know how to resolve the tension? Here's what I think is a key principle for resolving this tension. If you are a committed follower of Christ, the people that are in your inner circle of friends, in your core, those who influence you the most and those that you influence the most, they must be committed followers of Christ. Your core must be filled with people that are committed followers of Christ. Not church attenders, committed followers of Christ. That means they live their lives for Jesus. They don't live their lives based on their personal preferences. They live their lives based on what Jesus says. Not what they want, but what he wants. Committed followers of Christ have to be in your core team. Why? Because in your core, if you have committed followers of Christ, that's where you're going to get your strength from. That's where you're going to get your encouragement from. That is where you're going to get people that are going to love you and also correct you, and you know it's safe because they're friends in your core, and they know you know that they're not correcting you because they hate you, but they're correcting you because they love you. We struggle with correction because we always see it as discipline, and we read scriptures like the Lord disciplines those he loves, and we think discipline is punishment, but in scripture, discipline doesn't represent punishment so much as it represents a correction in your direction. It's about repositioning you to get you back on track with him. Yes, there are consequences to some of our bad choices, but that's not so much God punishing you as your decisions just lead to bad consequences and we live in a sinful world that affects us. Because when you have a core that is committed to Christ, your spiritual roots grow deep. Are you hearing me? Your spiritual roots grow deep and your outer reach grows broad. When you have a core that's filled with committed followers of Christ, your roots go deep and your ability to reach broadens because your roots are deep. If you don't have deep roots in your core, as you start to broaden, you'll be easily plucked out of the ground. When you're surrounded by the right people, your spiritual roots grow deep. You're more solid. Your roots are deeper. But your reach also becomes broader. Because you're surrounded by the right people, you can go into the dark places and let your light shine together. But when your core is made up of the wrong people and you have the wrong choices, 
then your roots don't go deep enough and your reach to be broad gets very shallow and you will find or you will get as you try to reach out, if you don't have deep roots, as you try to reach out, as you try to have a broad reach, you'll find what happens is you spiritually get your butt kicked as you go into those areas because you don't have the strength of the core to keep you planted and grounded as you broaden your reach. You okay? We have to have, we have to be core strong with deep roots. And the reason why we need that is so we can reach wide. It's so we can reach wide. It's not so that we can just become, here's our little group of Christians inside the four walls of the church and look at our special little club. No, no, no. Our roots go deep, so our reach goes wide. Our roots don't go deep, so we can just consume it upon ourselves. Our roots go deep, so our reach can go wide. Don't associate with those who are easily angered, or you may become like them but associate with those that are grounded so you can shine your light into them. Jesus is the perfect example, yeah, for us. But I want you to understand something about Jesus, and I hope this helps you as we get into looking at some of the ways that we need to redefine our friendships. But if we, if we look at Jesus, we, we see that Jesus loved everybody equally. We know that Jesus loved everybody unconditionally, everybody equally. He didn't love one person more than the other. He even loved the Pharisees, right? Even though they used to tick him off. He loved everybody equally. Are you, here? Are you with me? Yes, you believe that, that God loves everybody equally. His love is unconditional. So he loved everybody equally, but Jesus doesn't treat everybody equally. So we make that mistake in church life that we all think that we should be treated equally by God, but God doesn't treat everybody equally. He loves everybody equally, but he doesn't treat everybody equally. How do I know that? Well, how come he only had 12 disciples? Why didn't he have 15 or 25? Why 12? Why, why, why wasn't 13 and 14 added to the group? And why inside the 12 was there only three that he really put his life into more than they put into the other nine. Why is that? Because he loves everybody equally, but he doesn't treat everybody equally. He loved them all, but he didn't treat them equally. And there were times where, where everybody wanted Jesus. The disciples wanted Jesus. The sick people wanted Jesus. Everybody needed healing. And what would Jesus do? He goes, sorry, I'm sorry. i I, I got to go away and spend time with my father. He neglected people that needed him to go and spend. In fact, the very first thing he did when his ministry was launched is he neglected people for 40 days while he went into the desert and prayed and fasted and built a relationship with God. Loves everybody equally, but doesn't treat everybody equally. He loved the Pharisees, but he didn't treat the Pharisees like he treated the sinners, Yes. He loved them because he was God in the flesh, but he couldn't trust the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people. And so he loved them, but boy, did he keep them at arm's length from him. It's not very often you see Jesus going to have a meal with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but he went and had the meals with the sinners and the prostitutes and the tax collectors all the time. 
Why? Because he kept the religious people at length from him because he loved them, but he didn't treat them as equally as he treated everybody else because of who that they were and what they were doing. You cannot live the right life with the wrong friends, and so you have to be able to redefine some friendships. And you're like, man, okay, Craig, I get it. If my friends are robbing banks, stealing cars, and cooking meth in their kitchen, I probably need a new lot of friends. And you would be absolutely correct. You do. If your friends are robbing banks, stealing cars, and cooking meth, you need new friends. Yes? Here's the problem. For most of us, that is not the case. For most of us, we don't have friends that are robbing banks, stealing cars, and cooking meth. So what does that look like for us? The reality is, for most of us, there's still some influences so close to us that they need to be redefined. For example, it could be that one of your friends is just constantly, incredibly negative constantly critical about everything that's going on. And when you hang around them, you become negative and you become critical. And God wants you not to be negative and not to be critical. God wants you to be positive about your life and your world and what God is doing. And so it could be as simple as that. You have a friend around you that pulls you down in their negativity and their criticism, or it could be that you have a friend that just is always tempting you to do things that just are not God-honoring, and, and you've got to redefine that friendship. It could be that there are some friends that you have that are introducing values to you that are not the values of God, or not the values of the kingdom, and so you have to redefine some of those relationships, otherwise they're going to take you down the wrong road. We love everybody, but you don't have to treat everybody equally. You don't have to let everyone be in your inner circle. The righteous choose their friends carefully, and that's what we need to do. And so in helping you choose your friends carefully, let me just give you a couple of things or two things that we're never going to let our friends do, and then one thing that we're going to commit ourselves to constantly. The first thing that we're never going to let our friends do is I'll never let my friends distract me from God's plans. I'm never going to let my friends distract me from God's plans. There's this time where Jesus is sharing with his disciples about how he has to die and go on the cross, and then God's going to raise him again. And, and Peter was like, no, 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 no. No, you're not going to die. We have plans for you. We're going to put you on the throne. You're going to be king and you're going to rule over Israel. And you're not going to die. That's, that's not how this is going to work. You don't understand, Jesus. Me and the disciples, we've been talking and we have a plan. And the plan is not you dying. The plan is you, you know, creating a revolution and kicking the Romans out. And woo And Jesus' response to him is in Matthew 16, verse 23. He says, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. If you really want your friends to understand that you're serious about a choice you're making, just call them Satan. They'll get the picture. You are a stumbling block to me because you do not have in the mind the things of God, but the things of men. In other words, 
Look, Peter was coming from a position of good intentions, but he just didn't understand what God was doing. And Jesus' rebuke of him is like, I don't know about you. Everyone, everyone thinks, oh, Jesus is so nice and he's so wonderful and he's way kinder than any pastor I've ever met, especially Craig. Craig's mean. And Jesus would be really nice. I don't think I've called anybody ever in my 16 years here Satan. If I have, I apologize. He was like, you're not going to distract me from the call that God's got on my life. That's not going to happen. It's one of his close friends, but he's drawing a line here and saying, Pete, great intentions, but you don't have the mind of God on this. This is your own thinking, and you're not going to distract me from fulfilling the call of God on my life. And maybe you have some friends that are really good people, and you enjoy their company. And every time... You know, you get in together, you enjoy their company. But when it comes to like, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. Man, you went last week. Don't go this week. Let's go fishing instead. Let's go fishing instead. I've, I've just got to, I just got to get to the prayer meeting. You prayed yesterday. You don't need to pray tomorrow. I just need to remind, don't read your Bible. Let's go and have a coffee instead. Good people. You enjoy their company. Or... Don't go to Connect Group, man. Come and come to the movies with me instead. It's a distraction from God's plan for your life. Or there may be well-intentioned people who say, don't do that. Don't spend your time there. Don't go to Bible college. Don't, don't do an internship. Don't, don't pursue ministry. There's no money in ministry. You want you want you want you want you want to go you want to go to university you want to get yourself a degree and earn yourself some good money. No, they don't. If the call of God on their life is full time ministry, then you need to release them into full time ministry and let them go to Bible college. Can I, can I just say this? There'll be some parents in this room. You're really not going to like me right now as I say this. God does not have a plan B or a backup plan for your kid's life. I. You can do Bible college. Let's just get you a degree first. No, no. God doesn't go, I know the plans I have for you. There's plan A, but if that doesn't work out, there's plan B. If your kid wants to leave school and go to Bible college, they're probably 18, 19 years of age. What does it matter if they spend two or three years at Bible college? They're only going to be 21 when they finish. They can still go to university. But what could God do in their life in that three years that university will never do for them? Don't, don't tell people what they should or shouldn't be doing. You should be praying, is this God's will for their life? Is this what God's plan is for their life? Because if it is, then I'm all on board. And so parents, can I encourage you, don't pray, God, I hope that they choose university. Pray prayers like this, God, show me what your plan is for their life. Even at five or six or seven years of age, what is your plan for their life? So I can make sure that I shape it or massage their lives in such a way that they get to the plan that God has for them. Whether that be a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, a stay-at-home mum or a preacher. It doesn't matter. We've got to understand what God's plan is for our kids, not our plan. If you hate me as a parent right now, forgive me. And if you get bugged by your kid this afternoon, I would say this. 
If you're a kid and you really feel like there's a plan of God on your life, it's got to be more than I just feel like this is what God wants. You need a scripture. You need a prophetic word. You need other people around you, like leaders and pastors that are like, yeah, we believe that this is God's will for your life. It's not just based on my feelings. Okay, so you got to, don't go to your parents and go, I feel like God wants me to go to Bible college. No, no, you got to go with a scripture. You got to go with some prophetic words for your life. And you got to go with some, yes, we, from people that your parents look up to and respect and say, yes, we believe this is what we sense and we believe this is what God wants for your life. Does that put me back in the good books? If you're dating someone that's distracting you from God, don't rationalize it anymore. Don't say, well, he, he got christened when he was a baby and, and um, he, he has, this is the thing that I hear all the time. He or she, they have a faith. What does that mean? A faith. They have a faith. What does that mean? Well, they, they were raised Catholic or they were raised Anglican or Presbyterian, or they went to Sunday school. They have a faith. No, 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 no. What does that mean? Even they're a follower of Christ or they're not. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever has a faith. No, whoever believes in him and is committed to following him will have eternal life. A faith. I don't have a faith. I have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Savior of my life. If you're dating someone that's distracting you from God's call, or if you're dating someone who is a Christian, but they're pulling you back from the call of God on your life, then you need to dump them. Here's a little, I'm getting really sidetracked now. Here's a little sidetracked thing to help, hopefully help you as parents, because you know my beautiful princess, Madison has decided that there's a, someone else in her world that's better man than I am, and his name is Utiku. Don't, don't clap it. I had someone say to me, did you find it really hard? No, I didn't. You know why I didn't find it hard? Because there's three criterias for me when it came to whoever wanted to date him. And this is the same for, for Seth as it is for Madison. The first and foremost thing is, does that person, are they fully committed and have a personal relationship with Jesus and going after him with all of their lives? First and foremost, that is the question. Not, what sort of job do they have? What kind of income do they have? I don't, I don't care about their job. I don't care about their income. I want to know that they are 100% pursuing Christ with everything they've got in their lives. Two, are they going to make my kid a better person or a worse person? Are they better around them? You know what I'm saying. Hey, can you vacuum? No, I don't want to vacuum. I want to go and hang out with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. And then they ring the boyfriend or the girlfriend and the next minute they're vacuuming. Because the boyfriend or the girlfriend said, no, no, you need to vacuum before we go out because that's your job around the house. If, if my kids have a boyfriend or girlfriend like that, straight away, they're probably my favorite child in the whole entire family, even though they're not my kids. Do they make them a better person? 
You know, I remember my mum made me promise that I'd help them shift house. And when it came to shifting that morning, I didn't want to help shift house. I wanted to hang out with Trinity. And my mum said to me, you promised me that you, and her and I have an argument, you promised me, and I'm getting all angry with my mum. I said, fine, I'll just ring Trinity first. I ring Trinity, I get, apparently, I don't remember this, but I get off the phone with Trinity, I'm as happy as anything, and mum said, I was like a machine, I just helped them shift, and it was amazing, and she thought, oh, Trinity's a keeper. Because <laughs> what she did tell me is, no, you committed yourself to helping your parents, you need to help them first. We can hang out afterwards. How many people know that that's a good person that you want dating your child? And the third thing is, do they feel threatened by the call call of God on my kid's life? Or are they going to help release that call on their life? If they meet those three criteria, nothing else matters to me. Nothing else matters. But they've got to earn money. No, money's just wood, hail and stubble. It's not precious stones. Yeah. I've just been to Fiji. There are people in Fiji with no money that are way happier than half the people in this country. It's got nothing to do with it. Side note, back to the message. Sorry. Bad company corrupts good character. The second thing you're not going to let your friends do is I'm not going to let my friends continually tempt me to sin. I love them, but they're not going to drag me down. An incredible example of that was like Joseph, right? Serving in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife gets the hots for him. She tries to seduce him. And we have this story in Genesis 39, 12. It says, Potiphar's wife caught Joseph by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. Joseph just took off. Notice that Joseph didn't say, hey, lady, you've got a problem. How about we sit down and we talk about this? Let me pray for you. Temptation is not a sin, but don't mess with it. Run from it. He did not stay around that which would tempt him. And there are times when you will have to redefine a relationship with a friend because of this, and I don't know how it's going to play out for you, But if you've got a friend that's like gossip, 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 you need to turn around and say to them, hey, look, we're not going to talk like that. We're not going to gossip. That's not what we do. Proverbs 6 says um, there are uh, six things God hates, seven are abomination to him, and one is a gossiping mouth. So we're just just not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And if you're going to continue to gossip like that, we just can't hang around together. Now, I know that may be uncomfortable and it may not go well for your friendship, but you have to redefine the friendship. Ladies, if you're hanging around a bunch of girls and all they're doing is bagging out their husbands, you need to redefine your relationship with them because, you know what, if you've got a bunch of girls that are saying, you know, I can't stand be married to them, I can't shoot them and I can't kill them, you're not going to have a better marriage by hanging out with people that are like that. It's just not going to happen. And so you've got to turn around and say, well, I'm sorry, I don't know about you guys, but if we're going to hang out together, we're actually going to honour our men. I'm going to honour my husband. I'm going to honour the men in my life. I don't dishonour them. So if you want to dishonour them, we, we just can't hang out together. I'm going to have to reposition you from core to friendship. Or... Guys, if you're hanging out with guys and all they're doing is, oh, look at that hot chick, look at this hot chick, that hot chick. Did you see that girl? Woo! 
you need to turn around and say, excuse me, I'm already married to a hot chick and she's the only one that I ever need in my life. And if we're going to hang out together, we can't have these conversations. And if you want to have these conversations, then I'm going to have to reposition you because I don't do that. Because I got one hot chick and her name is Trinity and she is hot as. You may have to redefine some friendships. Because I'm not going to let stuff like that distract me from God's plan. And I will not let you continually tempt me away from God's plan. But there's one promise that I'll always make to every friend that I have. And that is this, I'll never stop loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. Because the danger in this kind of a message is that we start to separate ourselves from people. The danger is that this church could become a holier than thou, we're better than others, shine my halo here on a Sunday and stay away from sinners. Get back from me, you filthy evil people. I've got to run from evil people. And the worst thing that could ever happen is that, is that we become that. That is not what I'm talking about because Jesus was the friend of sinners. He unfriended the religious people, but he befriended the sinners. If he unfriended anyone, we all know it was the hypocrites who were holier than thou and we're better than everybody else. That's why God hates religiousness. But we're going to let our roots grow deep so our love can be broader, not narrower, but broader. And we'll love those people unconditionally who are far from God. And it's time that we as the church stop judging non-Christians and holding them to a standard that only Christians are meant to be held to. I, I think it's mind-boggling when I hear people say, I can't believe the way that they're living their lives. They are not followers of Christ. They are not going to live their lives to the standards of Christ. The, way, the people that are meant to live their lives to Christ's standards are Christ followers. Non-Christians are going to be non-Christians and Christians need to be Christians. The problem is, is when Christians behave like non-Christians, and then you have some non-Christians that you reckon are more Christian than the Christians you know. But you can't hold someone who's not a Christ follower to a standard that they're not meant to meet. And as a church, we've got to stop doing that. I expect people who aren't Christ followers to live sinful lives, and that's okay because they're not a Christ follower. I'm believing that God would save them. I'm believing that we can show unconditional love towards them and show them that God doesn't judge them for what they do, but God wants to cleanse them from their sin and, and free them from all of the stuff that's going on in their lives. He's not here to pro pronounce judgment upon them because the Bible says that he took all the judgment of God upon himself on the cross. What he wants to do is forgive sinners, free them from their sin, throw it as far as the east is from the west or into the sea of forgetfulness and love them unconditionally just the way they are and walk a journey with them that sees them go from strength to strength and glory to glory and become all that God created them to be. That's how we're meant to be as the church as well. To love people unconditionally and not judge them. And so there's this tension that we have to go into all the world, yet we can't let the world disrupt God's plans for our lives. And here's the thing. You can't move forward with old friends who didn't get cleaned with you. You can't move forward with old friends who haven't found Christ as their Savior as well. You just can't do it. If they're not Christ followers, then you can't do it. 
And you're going to have to say to them sometimes, and I was talking to someone probably just two weeks ago who's really struggling at times, and they're doing their best to follow Jesus. But when they get around a particular family member, the temptation to do drugs and drink is just so high. And I said to him, mate, you're just going to have to turn around and say to your cousin, I love you, but I just can't hang out with you. Because this is how I want to live my life. I want to live it for Jesus. And when I'm around you, I'm tempted not to do that. But I love you. But I just can't hang around you right now. And hopefully as that guy goes along and gets good Christ followers at the core of his life, he will have the depth of roots to be able to reach out to his cousin with the breadth of love. Maddie, why don't you jump on the keys? John 13, 34 to 35 says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is the command that Christ gives us here? To love one another as I have loved you. And by this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. It doesn't say if you go to church every week. It doesn't say if you put more money in the offering. It doesn't say if you're perfect and have the right doctrine. What he says is, everyone will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And it's so important to understand that the heart of what I'm trying to share with you this morning is the key command that Jesus gives, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and we love others as what? As ourselves. So we live with this tension. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you walk with the wise, you'll grow wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. We live with this tension. You cannot live the right life when you have the wrong friends. And so therefore we have to, we have to make a decision that I'm going to surround myself with the right core so my roots can grow deep so that my love can reach wider and be broader so that my light can shine into a dark world and that they can come to know and love Jesus and follow Jesus. The reason why I have to get my core right is because I've got people in my world that need to know Jesus, and so I've got to get my core right so my roots can go deep so that my reach can go broad. And some of us have to unfriend some people. We've got to redefine some relationships. We've got to shift some people that are in our core and put them into a place of friendship, not because you don't love them. Your love for them doesn't change, but you just realize they can't be part of your core. But we still love them. And you might find that as time goes on, you might even join a, a connect group and, and what people in that connect group, you may not even know them and they may start off as acquaintances, but you might find in six months or 12 months because of doing life with them that now all of a sudden they're in your core because that's your place of encouragement and your place of love and acceptance and help. 
We grow roots deep so our reach can be broad. But as I was praying today for this message as I've gone way too long today, I really felt like there was just some people here that God needed to to just break off. There's, There's this thing in the Christian world that we call soul ties where we make a connection with the soul of another person and and it's almost like the, the way that I would picture or the way that I always picture it, it's like, it's like hooks with lines in your back and it's like you're trying to move forward but this soul connection with this person keeps on dragging you back to things that you thought that God had set you free from but you, you just don't seem to be able to break loose. And as I was praying today, I just saw a picture of God's hand coming down the back of people and, and just cutting off all the hooks and cutting off all the lines and setting you free so that you can redefine some of those friendships and get the right core around of you. Some of you need God to do some spiritual surgery today around your life and cut some of those ties off. Some of you had had, had relationships with people sexually before you found Christ. And, and the Bible says this, that when we do that, that there's a, there's a connection, the two become one, when there's a part of you that goes to them and a part of you that, part of them that comes to you. But he says in Colossians that God is like an accountant who goes around looking for all the bits of us and he reconciles us and makes us whole again. And God can restore your sexuality back to wholeness again and break off all the ties that that has to you. Some of you have got words that have been spoken over your lives by parents and uncles and aunties and teachers that you're useless, that you're hopeless, that you'll never accomplish anything. I had a pastor tell me, you will never, ever do ministry. Shall I send him a selfie and go, (laughs) you got to break these things off your life and break those words off because they're like hooks in your back that keep on pulling you back and you're trying to go after the plan of God, but it's like these ties just keep pulling you back away from the things of God. And I believe God wants to cut those things off your life today. And so why don't we all stand to our feet in this moment? And I want you to close your eyes just for a moment across this place. And I want you to have an honest conversation with yourself or have an honest conversation with God right now and go, man, are there any hooks in me? Are there any ties in me? Are there any words? Are there there anything that has happened to me in my life that, that I have not broken off completely that just keeps on pulling me back? Are there, are there friendships I need to redefine so that I can step into all that God has planned for me? Do I need God to come along this morning and just cut all those things off my life and set me free from my past in such a way that I can pursue the future that God has for me? Or maybe you're here and you're like, man, God, would you help me get the right people in my core? I would love to pray for you today. I'd love to, in a moment, I'm going to ask that if that's you and you're like, man, I've got some stuff that need to be broken off my life. I've got some words. I've got some relationships. I've got some things that have been hooked to me that I need to cut off my life today. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come out of your seats and come right to the front. 
then we're going to pray and we're going to break those things off you. And we're going to, we're going to ask God to come and reconcile you and make you whole again and, and get you back on track. We're going to ask that God will bring the right people into your core, people that are committed followers of Christ that are going to help God's plan come to pass in your life. But if you're in this moment, you're like, man, there is some stuff that needs to, I know there's some stuff that needs to be broken off. There's some ties that need to be broken. I need to unfriend some stuff from my past. Then I'd love to pray for you. And so right now, and I know this is not easy because everybody's looking around. And so maybe we turn the lights off, guys, to make things more comfortable for people. But if you're here and you're like, man, I need some things broken off, I need some stuff cut off my life, then why don't, why don't you come to the front right now? Come on. 